So we've been working through the Gospel of John. We'll return to that next week. We take a little break to go to one of the other Gospels. We've got Matthew in this case to look at uh, the resurrection passage here, the resurrection Sunday passage. As we get into this, though, we need to think for a second just about the events that lead up to uh, Easter Sunday, to the resurrection, uh, the events of what we often called Holy Week. Of course, it began on the, the Sunday before Easter. It's known as Palm Sunday, where Jesus came into the city and the people you know, put down palm branches and those sorts of things and waved them and, and, and sang Hosanna to the King of Kings. Uh, that was all a week ago um, in our uh, in, in calendar-wise. Uh, but then upon getting to Jerusalem and coming into the city, we know that Jesus cleansed the temple, which we think was for a second time. Uh, we looked at one of those cleansings at the beginning of the Gospel of John. But Jesus comes in again, and so we see that uh, my, my, my thought there is that Jesus is reminding them about the thing that first ticked them off about him. Remember when he came in and cleansed the temple, and they were like, that, they said that's when that the, his enemies set their... You know, set their minds towards his death to kill him. And so then he comes back in and, and cleanses the temple again. And once again, they're riled up, even more so wanting to kill him and, and take his life because they believed that he was being blasphemous by claiming to be the Messiah, by claiming this authority. Uh, but yet we're going to see the resurrection proves that they were wrong, that the authority is rightly his. Um, in the course of that week, he ends up meeting, at, with, does, has a traditional Passover meal with his disciples, institutes the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate today. Um, he gives the new commandment. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He's reminding them that the, the greatest commandment is love. And that the greatest thing is to love God and love people. So he calls them to go and love others as he has loved them. He goes from there to Gethsemane to pray. And while he's there praying, of course, his enemies show up with Judas, the betrayer, and he's betrayed, betrayed with a kiss. And then he's arrested and uh, through the course of the next day, put on uh, that, that evening and that night even, put on trial by the Jews and the Romans. He's beaten and mocked. He's, um, his disciples, those who have been so faithful to him, flee. Even Peter, as Christ had predicted, betrays him you know, three times. And then runs away himself, even. Then, of course, the conviction that he's given is to die by death of crucifixion. So he's hung on a tree between two thieves. Of course, in the course of that, he promises one of them, you will be in paradise with me today. But then he dies. And we don't need to get over his death. Because, you know, like I said, some of the, the old... Some of the old fables, as the Jews tried to explain this, and the Romans tried to explain what happened, were that maybe he swooned. Maybe he wasn't really dead. Maybe he just fell asleep into a deep sleep. Maybe he was in a coma. Maybe those things. But that's not what we believe. And it's not what the Scriptures teach. The, scripture teach, the Scriptures teach that on that night, Jesus died dead. So dead that when they thrust a spear into him on the cross, death came forth, water and blood. They went and broke the legs of those two thieves on the crosses beside him. But they did not have to break his legs because he was dead. Jesus, Son of God, in the flesh, dead, but with a purpose. He died that we might live. And so because he was dead, they put him in a grave. They rolled a stone in front of it because he was dead. We pick up our story there when we get to um, 
chapter 28 of Matthew, uh, Jesus has been in the grave, and now uh, his friends are coming to prepare his body for permanent burial, to, to be buried, to be because he was dead. He had promised that he would rise, but there's confusion, you know, but the, the last they see him, he's hanging on a cross dead. They've put him in this grave, and now they come to, to, to prepare his body in, the, in a traditional way. So let's see what happens here. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as we come to think about the resurrection, as we come to think about the fact that Jesus, your son, died, and laid in a tomb, dead, but yet rose again from the dead, that we might, have, we might share in his victory over sin and hell and death and the grave. God, would you give us hope? Would you give us hope and joy that carry us beyond this moment into all of our life, that we might do all things for you and for your glory? that we might obey you and walk with you and love you because you have first loved us and you have loved us perfectly. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is how the, the, this Easter, this resurrection is clearly an act of God from what we see here in the scriptures. Uh, the, the, the ladies go to the tomb. Like we said, they're going with their spices, with their wraps. They're going to go and, and cleanse the body again and make sure that it's ready for permanent burial. Uh, that's their intention when they show up there. Uh, there's friends. They're there to take care of them. But when they show up, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake. So you can imagine these ladies approaching the tomb. And all of a sudden, there's this earthquake. And then an angel appears, a bright light, and, and magnificent bright clothing appears before them. So glorious and so majestic and so radical is this moment that the guards who are there to protect the tomb, to make sure that Jesus isn't stolen in the night, stolen away in the night, they said, you know, they faint and pass out. It just, it rattles them to their core. They're just, they become like dead men, it says. They pass out there. And so the guards faint. The angel 
then goes on to show that he's a messenger from God. He, angels come with a mission, and this, this one comes with a mission and a message. And so he says, first, do not be afraid, which incidentally is the same thing that Jesus says when he approaches the ladies later on. Do not be afraid. Why? Because this is scary. There's so much going on. You can imagine the confusion. They're already just dismayed by the fact that Jesus, who the, their friend, their, the one who is claiming to be the Messiah, is dead. They're not sure about all this stuff that he said. They're all confused in this moment. And so this angel comes and he says, look, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Then he says, you know, the, the one you seek isn't here. He says, come and see. There's an invitation. There's a warmth there from this majestic creature. This angel who's in this brilliance clothing says, come and, and see. Because you know they're wanting to see. Is Jesus in there? Where is he? What's going on? What's going on? Come. See. He says, and for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Yeah. So this angel has, he understands what's going on. There's a comfort in this thing for these ladies. But he says, he is risen as he said. As he said. The angel's comforting them with the fact that Jesus has already said that this is exactly what's going to take place. He's helping bring them back into the teaching of Jesus, into the friendship of Jesus, into understanding that the things that Jesus said, he wasn't lying. It's true, and this is proof of who he is and what he said. He has risen. The angel, the angel also there showing his knowledge beyond himself. He's just appeared, but he knows what has happened. He knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. He says, go quickly, tell his disciples. Here's the mission. Go and tell them. Go and tell them that it's true. When Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead, he was true. There's a truth here to be proclaimed. And then he said, the angel says, you know, give some other information here about the present. He is going before you into Galilee. And, and then, you know, that's what he's doing. And then you'll see him there. You'll go into the future, looking in the future. You're going to see Jesus again. You don't have to go the rest of your life wondering, is this true? Did he really rise from the dead? You are going to see him. And then it says, that the, in verse 8, it says, that so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Think about that. Fear and great joy. What a great response to the good news of the gospel. Fear, because it's majestic and overwhelming. Remember, fear isn't always scary. Sometimes fear is just awe. Here it's probably mixed with a little of both. Fear and great joy. We talk about Easter joy, resurrection joy. That's what's here. The, the gospel should make us happy. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive. And we share in that joy. But then much to their surprise, as they're on their way to do what the angel has told them to go and tell the disciples, Jesus shows up. And of course, what does he say to them? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. Same thing the angel said. But before he says that, what do they do? They fall on their face. It says they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They fell on their face before the glory of God. 
You know what we're going to do when we get to glory? Lots of things. But I think one of those things is that we are going to be overwhelmed with the glory of God. We're going to fall on our face before the great throne of heaven. Why? Because we can't comprehend in our limited understanding, even though we're made in the image of God and we have relationships with God, to actually comprehend the full glory of God is humbling. To fall on their face at his feet, to worship him. That's the response that we get. That's the right thing. Fear and great joy on our face before the king. The king of glory. The king of heaven. The chief priest, of course, bribed the guards from the tomb to report that the body of Jesus had been stolen while they were asleep. Now, this was a scary thing for these guards because if they fall asleep on the job, guess what their boss is going to do? Probably kill them. Remember, they said, we'll go and tell this story, and they said, we'll smooth it over with the government. We'll make sure everything's fine for you. We'll say about that. We don't know that, how that story ended. But we see what the cost is here. The, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders even, but especially the Jewish leaders have been saying, he claims to be the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. There's no way he's the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. It, he's, he's a blasphemer. He deserves to die. But yet... The resurrection proves the opposite. Jesus, what Jesus has done is sort of like the Wizard of Oz. Jesus in his resurrection has sort of pulled back the curtain to show what the truth really is about what's going on. He spoils the party for these Jewish leaders who, who like I said, who, didn't, who really didn't believe he was the Messiah, who really believed that he was blaspheming. Now they don't know what to do. Because he's actually done what he said. He's risen from the dead. And so they're frustrated, but, they, but they, they don't repent. They don't go, oh, he was right, and worship him. They go into cover-up mode. How sad is that? How devastating is that? But the interesting thing here is that there doesn't seem to be any question as to what actually took place here at this tomb. The earthquake, the angel, all the events surrounding all those things seem to have accomplished their purpose. They proved that all of this was of God. And since it is of God, the leaders of national Israel here are in trouble. Jesus really is the Messiah. Surely they thought that the crucifixion would have ended this whole movement of this Jesus is the Messiah movement that's going on. But it doesn't. It emboldens it. What we see from this point forward after the ascension is the, the apostles go and it says these unlearned men go and proclaim the gospel to the world. And the reason they were able to do that is because they had been with Jesus. But what is it that propels them out? It's the resurrection. It's the fact, remember when he died, when he was arrested, when things were going bad, what did they, they ran. They eventually got back together and they all get in the room and they meet the resurrected Jesus. And from that point forward, what happens? The gospel goes forth into all the world. We talked about this before. I don't think we give enough thought to the fact that here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe worshiping that risen Savior. And celebrating the, the events of that Easter morning. It's miraculous. The gospel has gone to all the world. There are a few places we we're going to get it there. We need to keep going. But it is amazing that this is the moment that changes the world. This is it. 
Bill Douglas talked about this Friday night, that this moment, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the, is, or the event taken as a whole on which all of history turns. Jesus coming into the world, laying down his life, rising from the dead. It defines, like I said, our calendars are based on this. <laughs> what a great moment. But this angel from heaven has come. He's appeared. He's opened the tomb. And the chief priest's only option here is to run a smear campaign against the truth before they get run out of town. The resurrection validates the teaching of Jesus. From God speaking at his baptism to all the teachings that he did, the healings and the confrontations with the Jewish leaders, all the, the anger that he showed at the temple over the, the, the misuse of the the house of God, all of this stuff is validated because he defeated death and found victory over the grave. Jesus did what he said he would do, and he proved that he is who he said that he was. The Son of God who came to bring salvation into the world. So why does Easter matter today? We're 2,000 years later. Why, why does it matter? Why does resurrection matter? Well, Easter matters... Because we're all going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And as much as, even, as much as we have faith and trust in God, death is still a scary prospect. It's intimidating because there is a sense of unknown. Remember, we're walking by faith. Faith is being sure of what we cannot see. And we want to grow in our surety, but to die at peace is the goal, right? To die full of peace and joy. Faith is, is necessary to approach death with hope and joy. But like we said, faith is being sure of something that's not seen. So no matter how solid our faith, it's, it's scary to put all of our faith in something that's not seen. I think that's why Jesus came into time and space. Because we're able to see it. We hear the eyewitness testimonies. We hear the story of the women at the grave. We're told the story of Thomas who put his hands in the wounds. And, and full of doubt. Why? Because it helps us see that the thing we're putting our faith in is not foolishness. Have you ever tried to explain death to a three-year-old? How the process of death works and how they'll never see this person on earth again and, and what all that means. I remember my, died, my mom died three years ago. Heavenly would have been about three years old at that point. And I remember trying to explain to her what death meant. Yeah, it's sad and it's hopeful because we're in Christ. But it's a scary prospect. We think about it in those terms. We see that. It's, it's tough. It's scary. It's heartbreaking to explain that to a three-year-old. And it should be because death is a direct... It's a direct result of sin. And sin and all of its results should break our hearts. It should cause us to despair. It should cause us to feel the weight of death upon us in that sense. Because we have all sinned and we all deserve death. But Jesus, through the resurrection, screams to us that earthly death is not the end for those of us who trust in him. That we don't have to fear death because death is not the end. It's a step into a greater beginning, greater life, resurrection glory. We need the events of Easter weekend to be true because we all struggle with sin in different ways. 
Some of us struggle with, if y'all are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, there's a younger brother and an elder brother. The younger brother takes all the inheritance and runs off to do wild living in rebellion against his dad. Some of us struggle with that temptation or even those acts. We know that in our hearts we're rebels. And we wonder, if that's you, we, the, the younger brothers wonder, is there enough grace for me? Is there, is there enough love? Is God really going to accept me after I've rebelled? Because younger brothers tend to rebel again and again over time. <laughs> they go and they come home. They go and they come home. Not always. But then there's also the elder brothers who wonder, am I really a sinner? I've done everything right. Do I really need a Savior? Surely I'm good enough. Or Jesus came for the good people like me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, moral, I'm righteous. Is there resurrection glory necessary for me? Surely God's going to accept me on the basis of what I've done. But the gospel comes along, Jesus comes along, the scriptures come along, and they tell us, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Younger brother rebels, and the older brothers who stayed home and tried to do everything right. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The gospel humbles us. The gospel teaches us that we all need a Savior. When they ask Jesus, how, how good do I have to be to earn salvation? Paraphrasing a little bit. What did Jesus say? Be as perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 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 Who's perfect? Only Jesus. For all who sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so we've all got to come to the realization that we are sinners who need a Savior. The one thing that we all have in common with everyone who's ever lived except for Jesus Christ is that we are sinners who need a Savior. And the resurrection teaches us that the, the only Savior that works... It's Jesus. All the other religions in the world are going to teach you, be good. You'll get there. But the truth of the gospel tells us you can't get there. You need a substitute. You need someone to take your death in your place. And the glory and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has taken on flesh, moved into our neighborhood, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and then takes upon himself the death that we deserve. But that's not the end of the story, right? He rises from the dead in victory over that death so that we can share in that victory. So one day we go to glory and live in blessed peace where sin and shame and condemnation are no more be experienced or even threatened because there's peace there's peace there's no other way to salvation than through the broken body and shed blood of Christ there's no other name by which one must be saved than Jesus the resurrection gives us hope and peace because the resurrection comes alive to us in a real and lasting hope that drives away the fear of death but it also removes the sting of death for those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. The cross of Christ gives us hope. We can be resurrected and taken home as well. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain. That's the Apostle Paul teaching. And your faith is in vain. Look, if Jesus is still in a grave somewhere, we're fools. We're going to be proven to be foolish for putting our hope. But that's not the reality. The reality is he is risen. He goes on to say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that earlier. What's he saying there? That when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the things that die, us, our flesh, puts on the imperishable, goes into glory, when the mortal puts on immortality, what is that saying? It's a declaration that Jesus won, that he is, has victory over all of our enemies, Satan and sin and death and hell and the grave. Death is swallowed up in victory. What does that leave for us? If our death is swallowed up in victory, then our bodies may die, but our souls will never perish for our death has been completed by Jesus. The death that we deserve is done. The resurrection is the proof of Christ's triumph. And it's the promise that we will share in that victory. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death delivers us and, and takes us home. Guys, put that next, uh, put that quote up here. I got a quote from Thomas Watson, an old Puritan. Here's what he says. He says, Christian, your dying day will be your wedding day. And do you fear it? Is a slave afraid to be set free? Is a young lady afraid to be married into the royal family? Death may take away a few worldly comforts. But it gives that which is better. It takes away a flower and gives a jewel. If the saints possess a kingdom when they die, they have no cause to fear death. A prince would not be afraid to cross the sea, though tempestuous, if he were sure to be crowned as soon as he came to shore. Fate gives a title to heaven, but death gives a possession of heaven. Death brings us to the end of our sorrow and the beginning of our joy. Death is the entrance into a blessed eternity. So what does the resurrection do? What does the truth of Easter do for us? It drives out the fear of death that naturally exists within us. Luke 12, 32-34, one of my favorite passages, says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom in its fullness. It says, so the, the ramifications of that are what, how should we live then? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then listen to this. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. There will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is our treasure? If we treasure the things of this world more than the things of heaven, then we're never going to die peacefully. Like I said, we're all going to die unless Christ returns. 
But if our greatest treasure exists in things on earth, then we're going to approach death with this overwhelming sorrow rather than a hopeful expectation. If we treasure the things of heaven over the things of earth, we can die with earthly sadness over the things and the people that we're leaving behind. But we'll not be overwhelmed. For we will be going forward to embrace fully and to be fully embraced by the thing that we treasure most, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to treasure Jesus over everything. And to do that means that death, the sorrow of leaving behind all that we've known and loved, it may be sorrowful, but it, like I said, it's not overwhelming. Because there's a greater expectation of joy about what is to come. The fullness of our joy awaits us. This, all the things here, are great gifts of God to be enjoyed and celebrated. We give thanks for all the blessings of earth. But compared to the blessings that we have in Christ, these things are but a pittance. How glorious Jesus must be. How glorious Jesus is for those of us who love him. A resurrection hope isn't just for the dead, it's also for us now. As Christians, we're called to live every day in the hope that Christ is at work in us, making all things new. His, because his sacrifice worked, as we said, and because his resurrection is real, Christians are now, by his power, resurrected to new life, even today. Our hope of new life isn't something we're just looking forward to in the next world at some future date. No, new life is a present reality for all who trust in Christ alone for salvation. We have been made new creatures. Our life is now hidden in Christ. That means we have a union with him that, through faith that brings us hope even today for fighting sin, for resisting temptation, for living in righteousness, to live for his glory. Think about this. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us now to fight sin and pursue righteousness. It, raised, it defeated death. And that, that power is available to us to live. There's a passage of scripture we often turn to here at Westminster that reminds us about this power. We're going to look at, at Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, so to say no to sin, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, saying yes to righteousness, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So why is this grace that's been given to us, that's a gift to us, that has appeared, why is it, how is it effective? Why is it effective? Where does this grace get the power to do these things? It gets its power from the atoning death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, this grace also gives us the power not just to live righteously, but to wait faithfully for the appearing of Christ or our own bodily death, whichever comes first, that we might finally experience this resurrection ourselves in its fullness. Where does the power to wait well comes from? It comes from the grace of God that's been given through Jesus. So we now have new life. We have joy that's unexplainable, even in the face of suffering and pain. But we have a hope that, gives, that goes even beyond this life. Because we're guaranteed to have our own glorious resurrection. So here's my hope for us as we, as we wrap up. 
knowing that we will all die unless Jesus returns first. My hope is that we would live every moment of our lives in the assurance of his grace. And then when we come to that dying moment, that we would all die peacefully, with peace. Knowing that when we leave this world, we're not going to experience some void or some hopelessness or some unknown. Now, we're going to a feast with our Father and with our Savior. We're going into the completion of our salvation. We're going into the fullness of the grace that, we, that has redeemed us. We're going to finally experience life as it was meant to be without the fallenness and brokenness of this world. So until we die or he returns, my hope for us is that we would live with ever-increasing joy. Abundant love for God and for our neighbors, for each other even. That we would live with the hope that all the world might embrace the glory and the power of the resurrection. We are not those without hope. We're full of hope, but we're surrounded by people without hope. But we have the good news that brings peace to people that are in hopelessness. That brings joy to people who are who are driven by sadness. Does the Christian life become perfect? No. But we have a joy of knowing that there's hope for us. So my prayer for us is that he may be glorified in us. That we might be satisfied in him. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing in Christ alone. Father, we confess that our only hope is Jesus. It's not in our righteousness. It's not in what we have done. It's not in who we are. But it's in who you are. You are the God who loves us. And even while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love by sending your son to die for our sins, for us, and for our salvation. Would you help us to believe, to put our faith and hope and trust, maybe for the first time, maybe for the billionth time, in Christ alone for us and for our salvation? Thank you for the hope of resurrection glory. That gives us hope to live righteously today in new life and to live forever with you in glory, knowing that we will escape the pains and sorrows of this world to be taken home, to live in glory with you. Help us cling to that hope, even in our darkest days, knowing that you never break your promises. You never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You have promised to carry us all the way home. Help us to live in the glory of that promise, in the glory of the resurrection. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.